it's those little obscure markets that someone's able to corner or able to like create these fragile systems in because no one's paying attention to it. And next thing you know, I'm trying to buy my neon green sweatpants and I can't. <laughs> and that's a real crisis. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't do it. Happy National Peacock Day, Dougals. Jersey, baby! Jersey! I'm Jersey telling you. Jersey City. March your native Madness. land. I will tell you that the the first day I feel like of March Madness, it, there wasn't all that much madness going yeah. on outside of the Kentucky one, because you know there's always the 15-2. We had St. Peter's then, but St. Peter's has continued. To, I mean, that's and it's my not, peacocks right there. It doesn't even feel fluky. They're like playing legit, and if they hadn't beaten Kentucky, I'd say because the other teams like Purdue, who they beat last night, Purdue is like a good team, but like kind of a classic basketball team. Right. And yeah, so like they haven't them, done well in the tourney either. Yeah. So like I wasn't surprised to see them lose. But Kentucky, that's a like you came out the gates with it and took down <laughs> Kentucky. This is this is something. I mean, they, they're, there's there's something we'll see. We'll see. But the madness, baby, the madness. Oh, I'm Sorry, everybody. It. March Madness gets me going. I'm as a as Skippy always says, like, I'm not that I'm not that big into sports. But in March, I start yelling at televisions like I yeah. get buck wild cheering for teams i don't even know where the school is but i don't care i act as if i went there like it is a, it's wonderful i love this this month we should have uh like, i mean there's like a gauge of your fandom and it's it is really how frequently you stand up and yell at the television and it happens all the time my kids think i'm crazy i love it. Doing, shout out man? to the peacocks though how you doing good man i'm a little under the weather so apologies to the listeners if my voice sounds like frog-like what is, i've never heard a frog do a podcast so i, I won't be able this to is the first that. baby we we're always breaking down barriers here <laughs> oh well sorry to hear that feel better what's up with you man drink some tea i i am good i'm good i'm still fascinated by the markets right now we're in a it's a the recent i'll say like sousson of a rebound that's happened i'm not going to call it like a rally or a full rebound but it's like but we're off the lows puts us at the the place that I always find to be most annoying. The market is down a little bit, but like not enough anymore. Like there were deals that were happening like a couple weeks ago. And now it's like it's like annoying place. Where no, like, yeah. They're they're all they're like not deals anymore, but they they uh like tease deals. So well, it's you know I always like to reflect on just that we're both here because we find it interesting similar to james mcintosh and uh reflect on the pain that some of us had in the last like three to four weeks but then you look at where we are we're pretty much at all-time highs on the valuation front with u.s stocks like isn't that crazy because i think a so-called real crash could be so much more painful than what the last four weeks were like Oh, it wasn't even close to a real, I mean, we even said this, it wasn't even close to a real crash. I mean, but there's like some corrections and some stocks, yeah. you know, the high flyers went down 60%. So I'm just, yeah. there was some pain yeah. out there. No, there's, de yeah, there's definitive pain. The corrections happen every other year. 
Like True. it's not, you know, and it's not that, but you're right. I mean, some of those high flyers, like people that were, that had bought into like the zooms, ugh, this is, this is the, we don't talk about Bruno. I'm not even going to say that. I'm not going to say the full name. C Wood. <laughs> or maybe is that too obvious? How about Kathy W? So <laughs> the people that had bought into like those types of stocks, like got hit with the fury. I mean, they, that yeah. you, you felt, you felt it all there, but uh yeah. Oh, interesting. Always fascinated by the markets. I so. mean, I got to tell a side story there. For those who don't know, we have a uh, listener mail coming to the inbox occasionally being like, Dougals, you got to just, you got to chill with this Kathy Wood talk. She's in your head. She, living rent free in your head, Dougals. Kathy Wood has like a quarter of it right now. Have you, have you seen the uh, Lego movie? Uh, probably. There's a song kids. in there that's like, this song's going to get stuck inside your head. I feel like it, <laughs> it, it happens to me, but it's with like th- this fund manager is going to get stuck inside your head is like what happens to me. And I just get like, Kathy Wood just comes to, she's everywhere for me. I turn on the TV. She's there. I open up my wall street journal. James McIntosh is writing articles with her. About picture her yeah. How do yeah. I get away from it? Anyway, not going to do it. Not going to talk about her. All I just did. Not going to talk about her. So I, uh, on that, you know, go, I was going to dive into some real deal. Holyfield knowledge here. Is that okay? All right. Well, before we do that, we got to give a shout out to rate and review the podcast, buddy. We always forget. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Our listener base has continued to grow. We're really excited about it. More and more listener mail comes in. And just want to say for those of you that that do like it, which it seems like a lot of you, please right now go rate and review the podcast. It helps even more people find us. Um, Whatever app you are, go ahead and do that. And if you love us, which I know you do too. Love. Yeah, go to skippydougals.supercast.com. Feel free to become a, a premium subscriber. Um, it helps us to keep things going too. So want to get that shout out early. Thank you, Skippy. We are the St. Peter's of investing podcasting, but listen, we're breaking down doors all day long. All right, That's right. so one more thing we, before we dive into your meaty piece. Uh, you mentioned two, well, you mentioned Kathy Wood. I sold the Kathy Wood short. That was a joke for me. Like I had a hundred bucks in there, but I made like whatever, 40, 50% in three months on that. It was hilarious. I ended up uh, taking that capital and putting it elsewhere. I also sold this week Tal Education Group, Dougals. I made, oh. I think I made 10 or 15% on my total holdings, but it was just like, it's it right didn't move. fit my core philosophy. <laughs> I only invested it because I'm an idiot that talks investing with you every week on this podcast. And, uh, I still think there might be money to be had, but I just was like, I need to put this to my core holdings. So I, I knew you needed to know that oh, because so you're dumping all of your, your core holdings. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, those are my non-core holdings. <laughs> Get out. He's Skippy's out. I had uh yeah, like 2% of my money in those two holdings. And I moved on after making a few bucks. Thank you for sharing. Cause if you'd kept that for me, I don't, I'm not, if I had to find that out from somewhere else, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know where. Oh, well, there's a Nancy Pelosi uh, whale watch. There's also a Skippy one, so you would <laughs> it, it would have hit that next week. Thank you, thank you. All right, where I'd like to start is I found this article or post. I don't really know what the difference is anymore. Uh, that's on FullStackEconomics.com to be really interesting. So the name of it is why America can't build quickly anymore. But what this walks through are examples of how in the past, when we had infrastructure issues in the country, we were able to build. Like we said, like, here's an issue. Let's get a build. 
And now we've set up systems, according to this post, which I, they make, they make a lot of sense to me, set up systems that make it really, really hard for us to, to get out of our own way. A couple examples. One they had was the New York City subway, very complicated subway system. Yep. So they opened with 28 stations in 1904. So 1904, over a hundo years ago, almost 120 years ago, opened with 28 stations. It's right? incredible. Yeah. So just think about and like the lack of technology. It's incredible. A huge feat. Huge. And how long after the contract was signed were those built? Uh, I'm going to go years and not decades. That's my only guess. Okay. Yes. Four and a half years. So after the first contract was awarded, it took four and a half years to build 28 stations. Okay. In 2017, so five years ago, there's a Second Avenue subway station that opened with three. So three stations around Second, second Avenue. Okay. So 28 stations, undo 20 years ago, three stations, five years ago. How long did it take? I'm going to go 25 years. Closer. 17 years. That's insane. Yeah. So that's one example. There's some examples, more examples that it has in this post. But basically what they're saying is just like, how are we going to be, how are we going to get ourselves out of certain situations that we say are problematic right now? We talked a number of times about Intel here, right? And how semiconductors are basically mostly owned globally, but specifically in Taiwan, right? But Intel is trying to invest heavily and also being able to create uh, semiconductors here, but how are we going to be able to invest in stuff like that, right? To get our own infrastructure, or yeah. even more importantly, um, the how do I state this in a non-political way? Stuff is getting warmer. I don't know if global warming's real. I don't know if climate change is real. But the temperature's going up, regardless oh, of whether or not you believe in those. Do you phrases. still hold your HVAC companies that are your? Heck yeah, uh, those are forever. Baby. Eighty-year trade. Those are forever holdings. So <laughs> temperatures are rising. And uh, how are we going to get ourselves out of like, there's a lot of infrastructure that have to get built if we want to say we actually need to, we need better uh, cooling technologies, we need better um, housing, right? All that kind of stuff. How are we going to get ourselves out of that? If this is my language, not in the post, if we basically have like a self-induced filibuster that exists um, because of all of the red tape that we put in front of both legal and political that we put in front of the ability to get stuff done here. I'm going to yeah. pause. Well, Ah, uh, how do I say this? I, I want to say this is the wrong word, so I'm going to refine it. But I want to say, like, we need a crisis. It, how long did vaccines take to get approved, tested, regulated before COVID? And how quickly were we able to expedite that? The political leaders got rid of the red tape to make it in the absolute possible fashion. And that's easy to understand why, right? Um with the subway system that took 17 years to build three stations, like, unfortunately, the government systems allowed that to not be a massive issue. One, they, I'm sure they continue to throw more money at the problem. But two, there obviously wasn't an urgent need. It's not like people were dying if the Second Avenue subway station is not built. So I absolutely share your frustration, but... I don't think it's that we can't, it's that we choose not to for lack of, I don't know, yeah, to be politically correct or something. Yes. Self-induced filibuster. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, a couple of the things that came from this is one thing, as they say, as a, this is not like an example, like the subway example, but an example of the red tape we put in, in our way is there was this 2018 study of environmental impact. And what it's saying is we end up 
uh, having like analysis paralysis because we have to get all the information together, right, in order to make the decision. So this 2018 study of environmental impact, the statement that they put together was 575 pages long, first of all, and took four and a half years to put together the paper. Like, so not, not even, not, I'm not saying to put together the stuff to do the work. It took four and a half years to put together the paper that just looked at what the impact could possibly be as long as it took to build the subway stations 120 years ago, it took to make the paper. What I, one of the phrases I love that it, the, that were in this post is it says that we've ended up with a system that is rigged heavily towards preservation of the status quo. Yeah. I think that is exactly right because Skippy, if you're like, I want to do X and I go, I don't want to do X. I actually don't have to do anything except to make it really hard for you yep. to, to get the, the votes to put together your 575 pa page paper. Right. Yep. If I'm like, Oh, actually I support you. Let's go and let's put together a 575 page paper. Now, neither one of us is in office by the time the paper is even done. So done right and you yeah you kick the can can down the road um i have a new role at work and one of our executives sent me a paper called the art of persuasion i think it's by robert cogner or i might have that wrong harvard business review article blah 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 talks about how to build consensus in business but this it's also a blueprint for how to build consensus in politics and everything else but there's a huge piece of this that says if you don't have instant credibility with your audience, you need to find a way to do that. And the way that's recommended in this article is basically to hire consultants who are experts in the field to write the 500 page paper to like, and there's a lot of truth to building common ground and uh, interviewing experts or getting expertise to move the point forward. But what I see happen is stuff comes across my desk that if we decide to act quickly, if we decide this is like a COVID like need, it's three days and two emails. And if we decide to bring in the consultants, it's three years and $3 million. And maybe there's a place for both of those, but it seems like we're falling to the more complicated, more costly and much slower solution. Much, much too often. Like, yep. Fully agree. Fully agree. And I, I agree with your, your crisis point. Like, absolutely. And where, where this falls into the, the business and um, investing world for me is that there are real like infrastructure industry creating um, like potential opportunities that exist yeah. for companies to, and it's not going to happen in this country if it takes this long for us to, to, to like get out of our own way around a lot of this stuff, right? Regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum, cooling technology is important. Again, going back to that point, like who's going to develop it? If someone going to your crisis point, if someone decides to to step into Taiwan, yep. like all of a sudden, I bet you all the things are going to be approved for us to, to start developing. Yeah. Semiconductor oh, it's already started right? happening. There's um, I mean, I'm an Intel stockholder and there is a lot of momentum in Washington to make Intel's life easier because people realize how sensitive that is. Like there was no action for 20 years on that. I guess we can thank Putin for that, but really, that's what it takes. Yeah. We just need to get out of our own way faster. I mean, it's a uh, Clayton Christensen and you know all of his yep. uh, innovators dilemma stuff. Like, figure out how the people in the garage, which might be a different country at this point, how are they going to outmaneuver us, and then do it yourself. Like, don't 
don't wait for the crisis. The crisis could be too late, right? So I found this to be pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, again, fullstackeconomics.com. It was, it was good. I'm glad you're giving it a shout out. Can we go back to the game that is sweeping the nation in popularity? Your favorite oh, game of all time, Douglas? College basketball? I like to call it rational or irrational. Oh, These are quick yes. takes by everyone's favorite armchair economist slash investor, Dougals. You ready? Born ready. Okay. Rational or irrational? Doritos bags have five less chips in them. <laughs> irrational. <laughs> Shrinkflation. Uh, the, the Russian stock market went up on the first day of trading. Irrational. I want to okay. give a longer hot take on that one, though. Uh, we'll get there. St. Peter's is in the Elite Eight. Who? St. Peter's. Oh. Rational, baby. You seen them ball? You seen them ball? Jersey. Do you know their coach makes 232K? He's about to make about 4 million bucks. Their school has like, I think, 1,700 people or something like that in it. Yeah. Also, um, they did a, a college affordability challenge. And St. Peter's went to the final four in that, baby. Cal State Fullerton won it, though. So just just so you know. Just saying Duke um, took them out. Sorry. Rational, irrational. Tal education group, a Dougal's favorite, at three bucks a share. Highly rational. They're not allowed to make a profit. <laughs> uh, black olives on pizza. Irrational. Uh, Baba buying back $25 billion in shares. Rational. Yeah. All right, I want to try and say this name right. Uh, Khalid Payenda, who is PJ? Afghanistan's former finance minister. Okay. Driving an Uber in D.C. currently. Irrational. Yeah, isn't that? We need wow. to get him on the show. I'm going to reach out. Um, wow. That's crazy to me. That is, that's wild. Uh, all right, and then I don't know if you've heard of this one, Rational or Irrational, Proof of Humanity Project. Oh, I haven't heard about that. I mean, okay. Let me. I'll say this: It seems irrational that we would need to have a whole project to prove that humans exist. But hopefully, that's not what this is about. No. So this is a a shout out. You've been talking a lot about universal basic income, and you uh, sent over a good article. I think it was from Time on Ethereum's founder uh, Vitaly. I'll butcher his last name because I'm just going to call him Vitaly for now, right? And so it breaks down. ETH Denver, which was just in town, and his thoughts on the crypto space and everything else. It's a couple of quotes I want to read from that, and then I want to talk specifically about one of his favorite projects, which is called Proof of Humanity. So he says, with fees being the way they are today, it really gets to the point where financial derivatives and the gamey stuff start pricing out some of the cool stuff. So I've campaigned about this in the past. Some of our some of our listeners are into crypto. I'd say most are not, but like the fees with ETH right now can be a hundred dollars to move money around. It's it's absolutely outrageous. He's really bummed by this, which is actually really nice to hear. His point is simply that with fees at crazy high levels, you're only buying really expensive things where that fee isn't a meaningful percentage of what you're doing. And he thinks the cool stuff is the much, you know, the things that's not a $3 million ape that's an NFT. Now, his favorite project right now is called Proof of Humanity. I teased this before, Dougals. What would be your guess about Proof of Humanity? As to what it is? 
Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like uh, maybe hit. Let me go here. A historical evaluation of when humanity started. It's uh, it's basically like a blockchain based government ID, but it's in place of a government ID to enable universal basic income. Oh, okay. Okay. So the high level pitch here, I'm not going to even do it justice. Um, but I do want to say if there's any of our listeners that are already on proof of humanity, I want you to reach out because I think this is like the coolest idea. Uh, and I want to learn more about it. So the way this works, Dougals, they have a bunch of hoops you jump through basically to prove that you're human and you can upload your crypto wallet uh, to this, I'll call it this community. But one of the things you'll do to prove that you're human is uh, record a video of yourself saying things that are specific to you, things that a deep fake cannot do, and then provide some other information. And then you have to get backing by someone that's already in the Proof of Humanity project. And when you do that, they'll enable you to join that community and in some cases enable universal basic income to be distributed to you on a monthly basis via crypto. I What I pictured when you said you have to record a video of you saying things only you know is like, just go to this website and upload a video where you saying what your social security number is and your date of birth. <laughs> And your address, right? It's like like everything that Experian would, would exactly. Ask you so that's all you have to do. You send it to at Skippy Doogles. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an interesting idea. And this is where I'll I'll probably lead on the listeners again because there is some of that that's like, w- which uh, Chinese city am I sending this to, and how are they using this to create deepfakes for me? But it seems like a really cool project with his backing. I think it's probably trustworthy. I'd love to learn more about it. I won't talk too much about it on this episode, but like just like this really cool idea where when we talk about blockchain that's not related to, I don't know, people becoming millionaires, you go, there's probably something to this. And how cool would it be if someone who could really use 50 bucks a month in some third world country has the ability to sign up for this and it's life-changing for them? It's fascinating. I'm actually going to look a bit more into this. But as you said, listeners, if you know about this stuff, uh, please do shoot over a note. All right. What's in your fishbowl? Before I even hop into the fishbowl, when you said random Chinese city, I'm going to share. This has nothing to do with investing. In <laughs> I'm going to share this with you. So there is this, this uh, game, this iPad game that my son was playing. And it's like, you know, those, uh, those cranes, like in the arcade, right? You go and you move the little crane and it tries to pick up a stuffed animal. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, about? definitely. Yeah. So the game is that, except that it seems like there's this crane that exists somewhere in the world that you're controlling on the iPad. And you try and get the crane to, to go and pick something up. It's like, this is an absolute like money drain, FYI. Yeah. But so he's playing this game. It picks something up and drops it and then says like, we'll ship it to you. This, this, this happened, this is like middle of last year this happened so we get this thing shipped to us and then forgot about it i kid you not like 14 weeks later (laughs) we get this package in the Uh, in the mail a a donkey showed up at your house yeah (laughs) yes exactly get this package in the mail that had stamps on it from like 12 different countries it had gone from some random city in china through like indonesia in india and whatever i don't know how much money it costs for them to ship it to us because it was free to ship 
for us. And it took like 14 weeks and we get this little stuffed animal. And it was like this big um, that, that came in the, in the mail. Anyway, don't do this though. If you ever come across this game, do not play it. It is such a money suck. Uh, but anyway, well, no, fishbowl. on that, I mean, you're, you're leading to the fishbowl. I always loved those games growing up and I won maybe one or two things, right? My son went to a birthday party two weeks back at the local arcade. He walked out with eight stuffed animals, man. Eight stuffed animals. He was there for like 45 minutes. How's that even possible? Kids these days. They're yeah, good at this stuff, I guess. Scary. All right. I'm going to dip into the fishbowl to touch on something that you mentioned in the rational, irrational game, which is the Russian stock market opening. So the Russian stock market shut down, was it two or three weeks ago? Um, they closed it. Not a mass trading, they said. But then this past Thursday, it reopened. And as you mentioned, it went up. Now, I'm going to say it reopened at various like levels of air quotes because it opened up for trading, but they didn't allow short selling. Yeah. They didn't allow foreign investors to sell. Now, mind you, before this war started, before the invasion of Ukraine, 75% of free float, so the shares trading on the market openly, were owned by foreign investors. Yep. And they were half a volume. So not allowing foreign investors to sell. And if you've seen what's happened with Russian stocks in the US, they've like completely tanked, right? So not allowing foreign investors to sell basically is, and not allowing short selling is basically just propping things up. If that weren't enough, the largest sovereign wealth fund in Russia, Putin said, and you will also buy $10 billion in stock. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you open up this market, say no one can sell and you have to buy. I mean, I mean, I've been, so I've been called out and rightfully so on doing what the media does today, where I provide like 20% of the facts and claim that Russian stocks went up on the first day of trading, which is theoretically true without any of the context as to why they went up. Yeah. It's still, even with all those factors, I still find it crazy. But if you think there's 10 billion coming in and maybe the people who are allowed to trade don't have the complete picture of what's happening in Ukraine, yep. I think maybe yeah. it makes sense. Maybe, maybe. And Russia's also been, uh, it seems like, has, has been dropped by the big index makers. Um, so MSCI, yeah. which makes a lot of the, uh, the global ETFs, it used to be part of Morgan Stanley, not anymore. And then FTSE, um, which, is the, which is the London Stock Exchange's um, like index maker, they've both started dropping Russia, Russian stocks from their, uh, from their emerging market funds. So globally... Not not very favorable, but since foreign investors aren't allowed to sell, market goes up. All right, well, what's in your fishbowl, sir? Well, I just want to talk housing real quick. Um, so right. interest rates went up, right? At the time, midweek, they were at 4.16. And here's the breakdown of that. They, they talk about what that means to a half million dollar mortgage, right? So at the previous rates, at like 3.1%, you could your monthly mortgage payment on a 30 year fixed for a 500k mortgage would be like 2138 at at 4.1 that jumps to 2433 and if we go to north of 4.5 you get to like 2533 so 
I always think it's interesting to look at these things. We've been talking about the housing market. Last week, we talked about people making more money on average in housing than they did in their typical job, right? If rates continue to rise and Jerome Powell, right, is saying we could rise rates as much as six times this year, the housing market has to slow down significantly. And the ramifications of that, I think, make recession a real possibility. Yeah, would be, I don't want to predict recessions. That that stuff is hard, but I, I get your I get your direction. I mean, and it's it's going to be fascinating to see what the human behavior, behavioral consequences of of these rising rates are. I'm getting messages from Barbara Corcoran. You know Barbara. You know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah. Um, I'm getting messages from her saying like it's time to go out and buy because rates are going up so quickly. So like go buy now, right? Which is irresponsible. I can't think of. A better, I think so. Yes. <laughs> I can't think of a better word. But so it, it's what's going to happen is going to depend on what what happens behaviorally. Like, are people going to rush out and try and get more houses right now, which is going to then drive up the uh, price housing prices even more, right mm-hmm. than they are right now, or is it going to slow down? And over what time period? Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. But I hope I hope it slows things down. Having a normal housing market again would be a pretty healthy thing for our economy. Yes. Well, and actually, you jumped to my point, which is. This is in fortune.com um, and all these, you know, they all aggregate and recommend other articles that might be related to what you're looking at. So this article is kind of saying, oh, there's tough times ahead for housing market. But then it shows you the previous articles that they've written over the past three years that effectively say the exact same thing in different phrases, like the housing market is in uncharted waters that came out a week ago a shock is headed for the housing market that came out six months ago. So let's make sure this is not a prediction. I just think it's like fundamentally interesting to think about how people's costs rise as interest rates rise. I don't want to, to take anyone's pain away or like or un- undermine, right. Or um, anyone's like the, the financial pain they might feel from this stuff. But sometimes I think the words that we use in this country are a little too exaggerated. We talk about like shocks and crises. Yeah. Right. We are, if you just take the federal funds, which is what the um, Federal Reserve controls, right? That rate. We're, we're talking about moving from like zero to 0.25 and then maybe then to 0.5 or to 0.75 right now. Right. And taking that and saying like crisis. <laughs> Argentina just had to increase its rate to 44.5%. Yes. Right? Now, those are two completely different economies, different histories, like, et cetera, right? So I, it's not really comparing apples to apples. However, like, let's just get our words in check. Like, we can, we can deal with whatever comes from us saying, like, there's a now a, a 0.5% um, interest rate there. And, and that's different than the, the mortgage rates, right, that you were stating. But just know that there are countries where we're talking, like, nearly 50% interest rates, right, that are being thrown out there. So we'll see if it, if it ends up leading to a recession, but, I, but it's all going to be, not all, I think a lot of it, it does end up being under, I'll say our control, meaning like the people, just like check your behavior. Because we don't have to, you don't have to go out and buy that house. Like, trust me, you don't have to go do it. So think about that going back to Vegas, right? Don't make that bet. Yeah, don't. you don't have to go to Vegas either. No, 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 you have to go to Vegas. <laughs> But while you're there, you don't have to bet uh, using debt. 
No, but you have to you have to take debt to get to Vegas, of course. Uh, we're joking if that's unclear, guys. So, actually, I love that point um, because the way we write articles these days, it's there's all these this hyperbolic language to get a click, right? And to actually keep that in check and be like, oh, you know what? If home rates are four percent, that's still like in the lowest. I don't know, 10th percentile of the history of housing rates. You know, like we're still in very, very good shape. And it's important to keep that in perspective. It's not a shock or a failure or anything else. It's a blessing. No, what'll be, uh, we talked, there was this Farnham Street article that we talked about a few weeks ago of people playing in hard mode, right? And you like creating yeah. your own destruction. And if we end up going into more and more debt, right to take advantage of these low rates that we can't afford then we have issues but the rate itself is not an issue it's fabulous yeah f-a-b-o throw that on the turntables already <laughs> um, all right what's next i'm gonna i'm gonna dip into the fishbowl to just to continue on the topic of getting in our own way a little bit and margin and maybe a little bit of debt here but i read this article in the wall street journal about commodities and the cash crunch in commodities. Uh, commodity cash crunch is not interesting to anybody, so I apologize ahead of time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstract it out to the meta point that we were just making. So what this article is about was it was talking about the, uh, the volatility that exists right now in the commodities market. So commodities trading, uh, that's when you trade physical goods. So we're talking about wheat, we're talking about oil, we're talking about gold, right? Um, all of that are commodities. And since the, even before, but especially since Russia invaded Ukraine, commodities is out the wazizi everywhere. Like it's just it's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's wild. Like so much volatility, so many fluctuations because of the, the amount of, um, of the world's commodities that come out of either Russia or Ukraine. And so therefore, so people are like, what the heck's going on? So what's been happening is that the exchanges that trade commodities are requiring more money upfront and they're also charging other fees outside of that. And so what'll happen is if you say, I'm like, Skippy, I would like to buy some wheat, right? What Skippy does as the exchange is Skippy says, okay, well, if that wheat is a million dollars, you have to give me some amount upfront. And yeah. so that might be like, give me $250,000 upfront as collateral and then I'll give this to you. And then there'll be payments. You can pay like the rest of it over time. There, there are like different kinds of, uh, of, of deals you can strike. But what they're saying is like that amount of money that people are requiring up front is going up. And what's then happening is if the commodity price thing goes down, let's say, and I've now bought with margin, I may have to go sell something else in order to fund my margin payment to Skippy. And that's driving these cash crunches that are existing. And in some cases, it didn't go too much, the, this article didn't go too much into this, but I, I thought this part is like a little thread I might want to pull on, is what's being sold is coming from disadvantaged nations. So like if I own assets in Egypt was the example they gave, I'm going to sell my distressed asset in Egypt to fund my new speculation. And so there's like this, uh, this doom loop that could potentially be created for me as the individual and potentially from the country that I'm now selling assets from, which might not have, uh, which is distressed. Right. And so it's like, I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. It sounds like I'll be um, buying some 
Egyptian stocks soon or, or commodities maybe in this case. So to illustrate your point here, I think they did it. They had a really nice visual. Uh, they talk about year to date commodity swings and pre the, the war in Ukraine, a 2.5% move either way is a rarity, right? Happens infrequently post that invasion. Um, there's only been four days of trading that are less than a 2.5% swing. And the swings of seven and a half to 10% are happening with fairly strong regularity. Like it's just crazy. Wild. The market's gone haywire. Yeah. It's, it, oh, it's, this is, this is the kind of stuff that when you mix it in with everything else we've talked about, like the margin debt, all the other debt, like it's, it's scary because a, a bad move in the wrong direction. Yeah. Who knows what has to get unwound. That's it's like the, uh, the Bill Huang situation that we talked about. Was that a year ago? Oh, it was. Oh my gosh. So uh, really brief recap, but Bill Huang ran this family office and he, as a trader and he got himself into many multiples of debt. I don't think it was even confirmed what it was, but he was leveraged up the. It was like 20 times. Yeah, yeah. 20 times. So 20 times leverage means if I'm trading $20 million, let's just say in stock, but I only have a million dollars invested. Yep. And so what then ends up happening is if that $19 million, right. That I have in debt, if it starts to go in the wrong way, I have to somehow figure out how to pay for it. And so you start, as I mentioned before, start selling stuff and it has this impact on the market and you don't know how much of the, the market sits on these like really fragile um, deals. This is what happened in 2008 in a, in a very different yeah. way. But it's basically what happened back in 2008. It's but in that is- example, um, his family office held, oh gosh, it was a big cable provider or TV network or something, right? Um, yeah, I want to say it wasn't Paramount is what's coming to mind, but that's not what it was. Maybe. It was something like that. But like the that. way it got unwound, that stock for a brief time traded like 35% down because of the forced selling that was created with his margin call, if I remember correctly. I mean, just bonkers stuff uh that should never happen uh but we're addicted to debt in this country and especially in the investing space uh so it's gonna happen again that's actually where i was going with the mortgage rates in a way is just like be aware of the margin calls that are about to happen in real life and the commodities market is a perfect place to illustrate this yeah and it's it's uh, a lot of times it happens in these boring places that no one thinks about like somehow neon is going to take down our economy, right? It's going to be like, it's going to be something that like you don't even think about. Right. Um, but, but it's those, it's those little obscure markets that someone's able to corner or able to like create these fragile systems in because no one's paying attention to it. And next thing, you know, I'm trying to buy my neon green sweatpants and I can't. <laughs> and that's a real crisis. That's when we get concerned. <laughs> So, yeah, but it is, it's like these boring corners of the market that, you know, people end up with these like wild deals. And next thing you know, like you have to unwind them and compounding negativity. Ooh, that's a little bit freaky, but yeah, it is behavior. Just check, check your behavior. So remember how last week or the week before I was like, Bob is great. Here's some stats to back it up. Here's what I wish I would have done to uh, this week. Uh, Jeff Bezos, a letter from the year 2000 went around the yeah. interwebs. Yeah. And I just wish I was this eloquent. 
I, I and the good news for me is I have no desires to go to space. So if I'm ever this good, I'll just be giving back my fortune. I won't be like spending it. It's, so he said, I'm just going to read like a few sentences. He says, ouch, it's been a brutal year in the capital markets and certainly for Amazon.com shareholders. As of this writing, our shares are down more than 80% from when I wrote this last year. Nevertheless, by almost any measure, Amazon.com is a company in a stronger position at this time than any time in the past. We served 20 million customers in this year, up from 14 million in 1999. Sales grew to 2.8 billion from 1.6 billion last year. Our pro forma operating loss shrank to only 6% of sales from 26% of sales last year. The average spend per customer was $134 per share up 19%. There's 10 more bullets on this. Like I won't bore you guys with it, but I love the, this comes across as so rational and so sane in a time where I'm sure there's panic within that corporate office because your stock is down 80%. And it went down more than 90% by, yeah. by the end, by the end of this. But yeah, I, this, I, I love going back and reading some of Bezos's uh, shareholder letters. Cause they are just like, they're, they're simply written mm -hmm. to the point And so rational. Um, this is a great one. This is a really good one. Yeah. It's like the check out, look at our business doing quite well by like any measure that you want to look at. Yeah. Share prices down. I mean, that's a that's an investment. He like wrote an investment thesis in the simplest way possible there. And he Love was 100% correct about it. You know, um, I wasn't smart enough in 2000 to understand the unique aspects of Amazon's business that made the valuation look so odd. But there are people that did. And gosh, I wish I was reading this at the time. Dougal's, you'll love that the second paragraph in, he's starting... He's quoting Benjamin Graham, man. He's saying, as a famed investor, Benjamin Graham said, in the short term, the stock market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And he's tying that very quickly back to look at what, look at the weights here. Look how things are going to turn out because our business is getting better and better. Brilliant. He's like, he's like the exact opposite of uh, Portnoy in the way that he talks about, <laughs> about these things <laughs> where Dave Portnoy of Barstool fame, like he's, he's all voting machine. He like, at least the way that he markets yeah. is all oh, voting. No, machine. that's his whole business model. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is some brilliance. We got it. If we have not, let's put it on the, the tweets. Oh, it's out there, baby. Okay. All right. Anything else in your fishbowl, Douglas? I'm good. Awesome, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, sorry for the frog voice today. Hopefully that's better next week. Hit us at skippydougals.com for all your podcasting needs. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Thank you.